taking an unconventional look at stocks, property, bonds, economics, and more. This is the Total Money Management Podcast with Steve Moriarty, Tom Hill, and Jacob Senior. All right, welcome back to Total Money Management. This week, we're going to be reviewing the week that was from the 29th of Jan through to the 2nd of Feb, and there's a fair bit that's happened. Um, as usual, I'm joined with the infamous Stephen Moriarty and <laughs> Thomas Hill. How are you going, gentlemen? Very well, Good. mate. Good. How, co- how could you not go well? I mean, we've got military conflict, <laughs> uh, climate change, floods, uh, murders. What else have we got? Um, stifling heat here in Brisbane. Well, it's reporting season for the ASX. <laughs> it's so a reporting <laughs> season. But the bloody market's up, so who cares? Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. As long as they're making money. Every yeah, yeah. Panama Canal is like short of water or something. That, you know, like you just look at it and go, it's bloody awful. Oh, market's up two and a half. Oh, yeah. excellent. But we've had 300 mils of rain in the last th- 38 hours or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Kids are back at school. Yeah. Beautiful. Meta did 20% last night. Yeah. Meta did 20%. Course. All right, that's it. Wrap ding, it up. Ding, ding, We're ding. done now. Okay, see you next week, folks. <laughs> Isn't that astounding, though? 20%. I was looking at it this morning. uh, 460% since the COVID lows (laughs) at the end of 2022. Is that right? Holy shit. I have looked at at Meta, I'm not kidding, probably five times. And I've always thought to myself, geez, you know, you should buy that, Steve. And I think it got to $70 or something, and I thought, oh, you know, I should buy it. I never buy it. Because yeah. it's not my style of investing, but I always regret it. I'm always speculative about it as well. It, what's the market cap? Something Tr- two trillion? Is it, it, it's oh, I'd have to look it up. A twenty percent jump on a two trillion dollar market cap. <laughs> <laughs> That's so all psychology. fundamental investing, folks. Jesus. Yeah, but you think back twelve months ago, Mark Zuckerberg was like the plague, right? Because he did that stupid metaverse <laughs> thing. <Mark> Zuckerberg. <laughs> Well, that's his name, isn't it? <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. Zuck- Zuckerberg? Zuckerberg? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that weirdo with that stupid haircut. Um, well, 15 months ago, the stock was at $88. There you go. And it's now at $475. <laughs> this, this is the same as the Tesla story. Yeah. Why didn't you tell us to buy that? <laughs> oh, he told us to buy oil at $1 <laughs> you, you or whatever it was. You, <laughs> Still you, didn't do that. You didn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> But is it, I mean, oh, but that's just the stock market. I mean, I don't know if you also saw Peloton, right? You know, the ride the bloody bike with an iPad. Yeah. Dumbest idea in the world. I can't believe people would pay 3000 I hope anybody who's listening is not on a Peloton bike. But it's now gone from, you know, it's now near bankruptcy. Right. Right. When in during lockdown, it was, you know, $85 zillion or something because, you know, everyone couldn't get to the gym. But you know what I mean? Like, you look at that and think, how could it fall so far? Like, Zoom is down an enormous amount. Mm. You know, you just look and, – and the reverse, look at Meta. You know, like, if you imagine if you said to me, Steve, I reckon within two years Meta will be a, a five-bagger. I would have gone, no, nah, mate, no. I don't think so. Yeah, it might be a lot better, but I don't think it'll be a five-bagger. Here we are. Wow. Yeah, Peloton – uh, early 2021, $170. It's now $4.24. <laughs> that sounds like something I would have bought. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm surprised that wasn't well, do we me buy who now? crashed oh, do we it. Buy now? Really? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I didn't buy Meta. Because I, I, I can't understand some of those growth companies that just... Yeah. And I always look at them and go, oh, man, you know... Well, is Meta technically a growth company now? Like, well, it's bloody 20% <laughs> overnight. What do you reckon? Uh, Meta is the economy now. Yeah. It's... Uh, uh, Magnificent one. 
Yeah. Anyway, what else have we got? Um, Globalisation continues. Um, the Red Sea, everybody's still murdering each other or bombing each other's ships and planes. Yeah. Over there, um, all harmonious relations for globalisation. Well, I think on the Red Sea piece, it's it seems to be never never going away, and we're talking about it a lot, which I think is a, a good thing. And um, just because listeners can <laughs> can keep in touch with what's happening and what it actually means, but the the long and the short is it's getting slightly worse. There's been three U.S. soldiers killed, but is that anything to do with the the Red Sea conflict? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's well, what what is it? February the third. Yeah. Um, the Americans last night started lobbing, uh, uh, did air assaults on some uh, uh, Iranian-backed positions in Iraq and stuff. Yeah. So that's where you start to say, okay, we. Go, I think from here, the Americans, I think, generally act like, okay, that's really annoying, and then they get to a point where they say, all right, okay, you want to play like that? All right, well, fair enough, we're going to do the same thing. So they go in and they bloody will carpet bomb you and you go, okay, I think we might stop this stuff about the Red Sea. Yeah. So that's where the the American, the Iranians will now be going, okay, yeah, the, we, you know, you get the, the leaders going out saying, you know, yeah, we're death to all Americans and we're going to kill you and you'll pay badly. And then the Americans bomb the crap out of them and they go, okay, Maybe we should sit down and negotiate. And yeah. I think that's where it's at now. Once the Americans respond and respond forcefully, that's when the opposite side says, okay, we better have a think about what we're doing here. Because I feel like, I'm not sure whether it's, I mean, just in my mind, it's a little bit different at the moment. And it feels like such a wrong time f- to poke the bear. And, uh, and I'm talking about it from, the, from an American sense that you, the usual standpoint from the Americans is if we need to retaliate, if there's any attack on US citizens, then we'll retaliate and put an end to it. But there's that much conflict at the moment that I can just see something else spiral. It feels a lot like, not that I was around in, in any of the world wars, but it feels like like there's just too many people poking conf- poking the conflict bear. That's that, yeah. That's, the strategy is, or, or the... The, one of the suggestions is, which is probably pretty good, is anybody who goes face-to-face with the Americans is going to lose. Yeah. Right? Um, but what about if we get the Americans fighting for Ukraine and we get them fighting for Israel and we get them fighting in the Red Sea? So China, Russia and Iran are basically cooperating to say, let's get the Americans fighting three or four fights. Yeah. Right? That changes it a little bit. But you've got to remember, American firepower is overwhelming in terms of what they can respond to. And so that, that strategy may or may not work. Europe this week has said, we're going to give Ukraine $50 billion. And so what the Europeans are doing is two things, I think. I think one is they're saying, we've got to step up and help Ukraine. And secondly, they're saying, if Donald Trump's elected... Ukraine is going to be under serious threat, so we need to step up more and not rely on the Americans, right? So mm-hmm. Biden's got a um, $61 billion assistance package in Congress, but he can't get it past the Republicans because they're saying we want something done about immigration. It's an election year, so it's all really, f- you know, fluid, dare I say it. And so it, that's why it's important to keep abreast of the issues because you sort of go, oh, that, was, that really changed quickly. And that's where it impacts investors because you can go suddenly from, you know, like oils at 75 bucks. Ah, yeah, there's plenty of oil. Oh, my God, now it's at 93, mm. right? But 
and that's what I talked about with black swans, right, in the coaching, in the um, masterclass. That's the thing. You've got to watch. There's so many fires burning at the moment. There's a lot of trigger points, and that's what you, you know, we haven't had that for 30 years where you've had to simultaneously watch what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, what's going on in the Red Sea, uh, what's going on in China, its property markets collapsing, you know, all of these issues make it really volatile and markets don't really like volatility because volatility for them is uncertainty and so therefore they go, oh, this is really hard because you've got all these blokes managing lots of money going, well, I need to make money but I don't want to lose any money because then the boss will sack me because I've chosen the wrong stocks or the wrong countries, that yeah. sort of stuff. So that's what makes it really hard. Well, it's, it's human nature to try and predict the next thing. Or yeah, pre yeah. predict what's going to happen. And I feel like it's just such a difficult time for anyone to predict anything at the moment because, no, it, it's so uncertain. There's that many moving parts yep. globally and and on where, on, and on ground where we are. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, well, look at the Australian oh. economy. We're talking about recessions. Albo's done the tax cuts, you know, so that's coming. There's all of that. Oh, that's uh, what I mean. There's, Albo flipped, didn't he? Well, before we move on, obviously we started talking about the Red Sea a few weeks ago. I'll admit, I've started to kind of switch off to this stuff. I feel like every few months there's a different conflict going on. Yeah. Mm. If we relate this back to an investing context, for those listening, what does this all mean? Like, obviously, there's humans involved. I'm not saying, you know, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I was reading an article this morning. Container freight rates have gone from 900 bucks on the 30th of October to almost 5000 today. Mm. Obviously, insurance companies aren't wanting to inshore boats going through. Yep. What are the flow-on effects that could happen from all of this? Supply side. For what? Well, everything. See, oil is the basis of everything, right? Oil is energy. And if you want to make iPhones, well, you need semiconductor chips and rare earths and you need oil, right? And so what's what the potential downside is, and I think I might have said a couple of weeks ago, there's an asymmetry here that's not positive. And so what I mean by that is saying, look, it's more likely that if they sink a ship, as they're doing, more and more companies are saying, righto, we're not going through the Red Sea, we're going around, you know, South Africa. That's an extra, you know, $3 million per trip. Righto, well, it's carrying 100 iPhones. Righto, well, all those iPhones are now more expensive to transport. What happens? You get inflation again. Right? Now, I'm, I'm not saying it, that's a definite, but what I'm saying is that's the potential thing that could happen. The alternative could be they suddenly all agree to be friends again and we all go, oh, this is all really good. Mm, okay, I don't think that's, you know, likely things are going... You know, as a, there was an entry, I think, this week where I said, you know, the, the Greeks are buying American F-35s, Turkey's buying F-16s, everyone's spending more money on military. That kind of doesn't give me the vibe that we're all going to be friends again and yeah. go back to the old way, right? And so the other thing you've got to remember is the Americans are selling heaps of natural gas, right, and they're selling heaps of military weaponry. So why do they want a water stop, right? That's why I think I, I again, said a while ago, war's really ugly, but it can be profitable, it makes a lot of money. Well, I think it, absolutely from my like the way I look at it is, it increases costs by, let's just say half a percent. But that half a percent then compounds on the next 
the next. Yeah, chain everybody's on putting on half thing. a percent. Yeah. yeah. So then we see like, but just by a few ships over six months going the other way around the Red Sea, everything's increased by half a percent. By the time it gets to us, it's worth three or four percent more. Yep. Times by everything else that that is making the the car, the boat, the phone, whatever it is, oils all, in everything, and it's just and it's time based. So I think what how it how it impacts investors is that it's longer to get things, and then everybody puts a clip on the ticket to make sure they're not losing profits. Like for example, um, there was a so apples at Coles I think stayed the exact same price throughout all of COVID. That wasn't because apples were cheaper or the same price to to grow. It was because Coles went to the farmers and said, "You you've got we're going to pay you less so we can keep our prices the same." They keep their margin. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Coles keep their margin. Hence why Albo's now launching an ACCC investigation into into Coles and Woolies. Woolies. So it's the big corps still making their margins, but then we're paying for it on the, on the other side, I think is the long and the short of it. And that comes back to investor sentiment as well. So where, where things get a lot more volatile and sell, big sell-off starts to happen because people are scared. They don't know what's actually happening because of the wars and the conflicts. And then the inverse is also true where big pumps start to happen, like with Meta yesterday. Yeah. Um, where people go, shit, this is where the money is right now. Let's put all the money in there. Oh, next week, the, no one likes Meta anymore because Zuckerberg's been in front of the Senate and all the, all this. I'm not sure if you've seen online, but all the CEOs of the social companies have stood in front of the Senate and basically saying that they're, they're all terrible. Me and Colbert. Yeah. yeah. Next week, we'll probably see a 20% drawdown. <laughs> so Because it's not actually logical. It's just people throwing money around with, with the herd. So, it's just, yeah. They're just looking for the re- they're just looking for the returns, and that's a, again that's a classic sign of a bull market when people are just throwing money around everywhere, buying all sorts of stuff, right? And that's what I'm saying about that's what I'm saying also too. Dare I say it about Australian property, right? That there's there's people just paying nutso prices for stuff, which is crazy, right? Um, you know, if you looked at a lot of properties in terms as an as an investor, not as an owner. As an investor, you're looking at PEs of 45 and 50, right? Because the yield is like one and a half and two percent. Well, that's you know that's awful. You can get five or four and a half in a bond, right? If you've got a million bucks, but people are speculating because they're looking at that capital gain. Look at the Magnificent Seven. Mm. You know who wants a who wants a stodgy eight percent dividend from Petrobras if you can get twenty percent overnight from Meta? Right, everyone's in options. You know that's why I say it's when you look at the fundamentals, like conflict in the Red Sea, you know, potential of Donald Trump, who'll ch- you know upend global politics again, all that sort of stuff. And you go, yeah, what's the heck? You know, let's go all in on Meta. And it's like, well, oh, okay, and well, that's that's there, classic bull bull market stuff. There was an interesting question on our TikTok total money management TikTok. If you're not subscribing, go and have a look. Um, which was, <laughs> which was. You continue. I'm just gonna have a thing. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Was, that was good. Thanks, mate. <laughs> yeah, good, good entry yeah. into the podcast. Great, yeah, segment. yeah that'll Thank be an you. edit, <laughs> right? But yeah, there was a couple of other things I wanted to discuss. One, I made an entry on Thursday about dividends versus reinvestment. Yeah, and I think it's important for investors to understand the difference here. Whether, you know, do I take the dividend? Let's say it's a thousand bucks, right? Do I take the thousand bucks in cash, or do yeah. I buy more of the stock through the dividend? Depends on the valuation, right? Exactly. Exactly. If the company said, Tom, here's a grand, do you want to buy more shares? You'd say to yourself, okay, well, let me look at the company. If it's, if it's crazy overvalued, 
you'd be saying, I'm yeah, just give me the cash. Give me the cash, right? Because I'm going to put it in an eight percenter over here. If it's undervalued, by all means, go and buy. You know, dividends. Uh, buy, reinvest again. That's really the only thing you need to ask yourself, right? That's it. And, and I just want to raise that because it's important that people understand the difference. And it's always it's some people, old people like me, go give me the dividend, right? Because we want the cash. Young people might say, "All right, I want to reinvest the dividend because I'm I'm thirty, right?" In your case, but what I'm saying is, well, hang on a second, Tom. It doesn't matter that you're thirty. The company's really overvalued, so it's not a great time to buy it anyway. Mm. Yeah, right? I mean, you see articles all the time. Beta shares had one the other day, which I don't necessarily disagree with, by the way. But they compared. Look, if you started with ten thousand dollars thirty years ago, yep. and you just bought and hold versus reinvesting the dividend, you would have ended up with twice as much yep. after thirty years. Yep. Uh, and the point you're making is that's true at some points in time. Exactly. But if you're smart with when you reinvest it versus when you hold cash to capitalize on, you know, a low valuation. Yep. Then be miles ahead. That's yeah. the point of compounding. Right and a valuation, because I was reading a book during the week written by an ex fund manager who lives on a farm, and every you know this book has sold a million copies. Hint, hint, and he's got a he's got a compounding <laughs> charge card. Hey, <laughs> um, but what I'm saying is, every, everybody gets compounding wrong because they keep this continuous. Are oh, you going to make eight percent times eight percent times eight percent times eight percent on for thirty years? That's not the way the stock market works. It doesn't go up the annual 8% average every year. It goes up 20, then it goes down 25, then it goes up 15, then it goes down 8. When you do the mathematics of that, you go, well, hang on, that's not, you know, this bloke said I should have ended up with 600,000 and I ended up with 246. And it's because of the the volatility, Mm -hmm. right? And that is, again, linked, like you were just saying, Tom, to the valuation if I give you a property and say, Tom, this will yield 10%, you say to yourself, this is great, right? But if I give it to you at another time and say, Tom, this is, you know, this is wildly overpriced, but don't worry, the average is 8%, well, you know, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, why not just wait a few years until there's a better time to invest more and make a compound at 10%? Well, I yeah. mean, that makes sense, right? If I buy a property for a million dollars and at today's valuation, if I, you know, borrow the money from the bank now, I might return 1.5%. But if I bought that same house 20 years ago for a tenth of the price, then I would be getting probably Ex- a 10% yield. That's, the it, that's the whole today. point, yep. right? That's when you can then say, okay, I can run this compounding out a lot better to be a little bit more accurate because of what you paid for it. And all of this stuff with compounding is this, again, idea of, oh, you know, uh, Jacob started at 25 and Tom started at 35 and Jacob ends up with so much more money. And it's like... Time in the market. Well, yeah, but again, it's like, oh, because he's had 8% annual compound. Well, if he'd have started in 2000 and you, Tom, started in 2009, you've absolutely murdered Jacob, Yeah. right? Because you you invested with a cape at 13 and you've delivered 14% compound. Jacob started in 2000 with a cape of 44 and is compounding at about like three. And yeah. that's my whole point, right? Because that's what they don't talk about. And the thing I've been working on lately, I can't get all the stats, but it's been 30 years since 
superannuation started, right, since uh, Keating introduced compulsory super, okay? So 30 years super, where are all the millionaires? Where are they all? Where are all these people who are absolutely rolling in DOSH by compounding at 8% per year? There are not very many. You know why? They're the fund because managers. It, well, yeah. <laughs> that's it, 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 I shouldn't laugh, but it's true. It's true, right? Because they're compounding the fees. Yeah. Right? But, but it, um, you know, more seriously, where are all these millionaires? Right? They're not. Well, but, um, you know, they'll go back and say, oh, yeah, the market average is 8% per year. And it's like, okay, so where's my where's my Jacob story that I started at 25, I'm 55, and I should have about 2 million? Oh, I've got, you know, 340,000. Yeah, that's so true. I've got a few friends of friends, parents that are literally had that question. A couple of weeks ago, they're like, oh, I feel like I should have more than 350,000, 400,000 in my super. That's right exactly now. what I'm saying. I'm like, oh, yeah, but you've been compounding at 4% for the last 35 years. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what you said. put in. I don't know. Yeah. Well, they started with zilch. So I remember my question. Yes. Okay. What is it? There was a, a dude on TikTok that said, if you take out the Mag 7, the Magnificent 7, oh, from, yeah. the from, the, not too from bad. the cape ratio, it's not too bad. And I'm thinking, well, yeah. Oh, let's just do that. Let's just take them out. <laughs> well, that, but the, I, I sort of get his point, but what, and I responded, I think, in a video saying, when shit hits the fan, everything correlates to one, right? You responded very sensibly. I thought you were going to have a smart ass <laughs> comment on the can't fucking do that, mate. I must have had coffee by then. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, the, if you look at, and I, I think I mentioned this in the video, if you look at the same point in 2000, tech stocks had, you know, made a zillion, run up from 95 to 96. I think they doubled in four years, right? Yeah. Hallelujah, brother. But from 2000 to 2003, they lost, the NASDAQ lost 87%. Now, the S&P didn't crash 87%, but it still suffered from the outsizing of the IT, the dot-com bubble. And that's what I think will happen this time. Now, it doesn't mean... So, for example, small caps have underperformed and deep value have underperformed because everybody's been in growth and everybody's yeah. been in large caps. So who wants a stodgy little bloody small cap when you can buy meta and, you know, cop 20% a night? Mm. Um, who wants to buy value when you can buy growth, right? So that's what I'm saying in that sense of if you, you, you can't pull those seven companies out and say, yeah, but if you take them out, it'll be fine. Because what you're saying is, well, it's it's first of all, it's it's like saying... Yeah, but you know, if you if you didn't um, if he didn't have a gun, he wouldn't have killed those thirteen people. It's like, well, yeah, okay, but he had a gun. Yeah, well, it's investor, let's deal with it's, the reality it's of it. psychology as well, right? So, you, if 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 everything starts to take a tumble, they the 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 magnificent seven are going to fall harder and bring everything else down with it. Yeah, that doesn't mean that they're because they're a they bigger should, part of the index. Yeah, because they're they're rooted in as a bigger part of the index. Yep. So by taking it out, the the cape. It's not a simple mathematical five minus two equals three. Yes. It's you take the magnificent seven out and the caper probably be like three. Yep. Because it's rooted in, it's part of the whole like investor sentiment and psychology yeah. as well. So it's, I think it's a good question, but it shows how people think and how they're putting the reality aside, which is this market is overextended and and over exp and expensive, but I'll still invest because it's really just these ones that I'll, are I'll pick these companies, yeah. right? And Howard Marks said, if you invest in a company when the market's overvalued, okay, that's all right, but 
you've got to say to yourself, why if the market gets really slaughtered, will my company not fall? Mm. Right? Now, the argument is it's a really, you It's going to fall. Well, when the market gets panicked, it doesn't discriminate, right? It's just sell everything. And what do you sell? You sell the stuff that's made you the most money, right? That's what you do. And so that's uh, where you where you've got to look at it holistically. And also what I'm trying to say to the, the, the fellow there is you've got to look at the history and go, when has this happened before and what have been the results? And that's why I said on the Black Swan Masterclass, I can't tell you what the event is. Mm. Because if I knew that, I'd say, listen, Tom, invest up until March the 15th because there's going to be a hurricane on the, the east coast of America that wipes out the market on March the 17th, right? Well, that's stupid. I don't know what it is. So that's why I'm saying you've got to be positioned not knowing the stuff that can damage you is the stuff that you don't know, mm-hmm. right? Because what you're doing or what this fellow's doing is say, yeah, but if you strip out the seven, the other 493 are really cheap. And it's like, okay, but that doesn't mean they're not going to fall 30 40% mm. and get even cheaper. Quick one. Yeah. In .com or GFC, and I, I'm sure you've probably gone and looked at this, was there any companies that didn't fall? Yeah, there were companies that survived, so no, no, to speak. But like, was there a single company across the board that didn't lose value? It depends. It depends on your time frame, um, but there are companies. So, for example, everybody last year, right? This is a perfect example of well two, right? Last year, the bottom three were energy, consumer staples, and utilities. I think. Now, why is that? Because they're all generally defensive stocks. Nobody wants to be defensive. We all want to be in IT and, you know, consumer discretionary or what goes gangbusters, right? So that's where you'll get the, the sectoral shift where people will say, oh, bugger that, I'm not being in IT, I'm going to get a 6% dividend yield in utilities, right? So that's where the, that's where the contrarian stuff and that's why Well2 works because what we're doing is we're buying the ones that are out of favour and then they come back in favour, right? But you've got to be able to withstand that period where everyone goes, energy, oh, yuck, mate, you want to buy Meta, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. You, It feels really hard because people go, oh, Steve, I can't see how energy's going to do well. Well, neither can I, but I'm just telling you, this is the way, you know. They are, they're out of favour now, but they're not out of favour forever. Well, that, that's right. <clears throat> that's right. And that's why, but what I'm saying is, I don't know how it's going to come back in favour. I don't know what the event will be yeah. well, to bring them back in favour. have a strategy. Yeah. It's, so. just, it's just simply saying, look, this thing's everybody hates it. At the moment, it's China, right? Everybody hates China. It's terrible. Now, they all expected a big bounce back from COVID, right? When it opened up, it's going to go gangbusters. Everybody get into China. Now, flat as a bloody tack. Right, so now everybody's going. Oh, they're having a property bus, which they are. Um, yeah, you know, now there's all sorts of problems, right? But if you look at the China stuff, some of it's like seriously cheap. Yeah, but and that's what we're saying. It will. That China will become in favour again, and the people that have started to have some asset allocation at this moment in time doesn't yeah, yeah. doesn't mean go and sell your house and put it. By the lot of it, yeah. But you start to, you start to put some asset allocation towards the unfavorable stocks or, or sectors or countries, and then it will start to turn again. That's where the value is. Yeah, right. You know, 
in all seriousness, do you want to buy a Chinese company that might be on a PE of 10 or do you want to buy Meta that's on a PE of 65? Now, Meta may well work out for another 12 months or even two years. But what I'm saying is the probabilities of a really good return are when you buy stuff cheap. You can't buy at the top of the market and, in my mind, hope that it's, you're going to get a good yield if the yield is 2%. Yep. Right? And that's what I'm saying about property. If you buy an investment property and it yields 2%, well, I'm sorry, don't expect it to yield 10 or 20. That's not the way it works. Right? And if the one way of doing that is saying when you, when you buy an investment, you've got to pay for it. Right? With, you borrow a million, you go to the bank, you've got 200, you borrow 800. Righto, you've got to pay the 800 back. Now, I stick Tom in there and Tom's paying 300 of the 500 that I have to pay every week. Mm-hmm. I've still got to come up with the 200, right, out of my income. Now, what you have to do is if you bought the Sydney property, I think it's about 1.4 million, right, as an average, which is insane enough. But if you say, oh, Steve, I think property is going to double over the next 10 years, it's like, okay. So what you're saying is in 10 years, the standard Sydney property is going to be about $2.8 million. Okay. So you expect wages to double in 10 years, which means basically 7% per year wages growth. We've had nothing like that since about 1960 to keep up with the property price. No, no, no. We'll just drop interest rates to one and we'll do 90-year terms. Yeah, yeah. But that's, <laughs> but that's exactly right, Tom, right? See, that's, that's what happened in Japan. Oh, really? Yeah, because everybody had speculated in property, right? And so what they said was, well, if I sell the property... I end up losing the equivalent of, you know, three to 400,000. The wages weren't that strong, right? And so what, that's why you've had this 30-year decline in a lot of Japanese property because the investors got stuck holding the property. It wasn't, you know, they had to bite the bullet and say, okay, I either hang on to this thing and just struggle through paying it or I dump it, right, and lose $300,000, Mm. That's that's why I'm really worried about the Australian property market because there's a lot of investors who don't understand those dynamics, right? It's all about the capital gain. And because you, we know with negative gearing, you know, I think you were saying, Jacob, it yeah. just, I think there was a... Uh, oh, yeah. Well, people are saying, people are glamorising negative gearing and basically um, justifying it because you pay less tax. And I'd... I'd just blows my mind that people would rather lose money and speculate on a capital gain than get than invest in something with a good yield and positively geared. Yeah. To be fair though, it does reduce the real losses year on year. And for yeah, the but last who wants to? But Tom, who wants to bloody well? I mean, I oh, just I'm, I just yeah. can't understand how people would say I'm going to speculate with a million dollars. Oh, I get it, and I'm actually not arguing the point. But what we can't deny is that's worked. For the last thirty years, uh, so yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 uh, absolutely. You take a bit of pain. The capital gain, the capital loss, rather, um, takes away some of the pain. It's like instead of learning, uh, losing thirty grand this year, I only lost eighteen grand because I'm getting some relief on my tax bill. Yeah, and in and the, that five year time frame, yeah, I've gone backwards a hundred grand. My property's gone up five hundred. Yeah, like, yeah, this is amazing. Absolutely. Like, I but you got to sell it to get the five hundred, and the problem is, like in stocks. People go, no, 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 dude, it's going to double in the next 10. And it's like, okay. Yeah, at what point 
does it go, hang on a second. And it turns. It, like it feels like we're at that point now. Well, there's, the a Trump- Russia, there's a Russia Chinese money in now. Well, look. See, the Chinese are trying to get the capital out of China. The, the wealthy Chinese are trying to get the capital out of China because they know their market's declining and Xi Jinping is becoming more authoritarian. So what they're doing is saying, man, I've got to buy some assets overseas, right? Now, they can't buy assets in certain countries. It's not like Australia where you just walk into Berlin and go, dudes, I want to buy a house. They go, sure, you know, buy a mansion. Or Japan. You know, I've, I've lived in... Japan, not Berlin, but what I'm saying is every country has its own rules about what foreigners can buy. Yeah, isn't Bali like you can only do a 99-year lease or something? Yeah. yeah and see, in, I can tell you, when I lived in Japan, right, up in Kuchan, which is the ski area, right, and lots of Australians were there prior to the GFC, right, it became the hottest gig in town in skiing, right, beautiful powder snow, just a lovely place, right? Village atmosphere, you know, like lots of cows, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Beautiful, right? Every The foreigners, the Australians were up there buying lots of property, right, in Kuchan because it was going absolutely gangbusters. And it was cheap, insanely cheap, right? But my point being is this. The Chinese started buying a couple of properties, right? And the Japanese, the local government went, oh, we don't know about this, you know, this we've been flooded with foreigners. The Chinese had bought something like 0.1%, mm. right? So in other words, it was like, guys, they bought a couple of hotels. They're not exactly like taking over the joint. Now, my point being, not everywhere is like Australia where they go, sure, you want to buy a property? You know, you're a criminal in Hungary? Yeah, no worries, come on in. You know, buy a $20 million Sydney property. Yeah, we'll, we'll let it go through. And that's, that's what I'm saying. All of this money is washing around the world looking for places to invest, but you can't invest everywhere, right? So you end up going to the five countries that will say, sure, bring your money in. England, America, Canada, New Zealand and Australia. And what have we had? All those countries have had huge housing booms, Mm. right? Because of the capital inflow, right? And we've made it worse, as they all have, with local people going, hey, there's a boom in property, right? And people who know what they're doing get in, but then people who not really don't know what they're really doing get in because they go, hey, we're earning 200 grand and we can borrow a million bucks. Let's get into property, right? That's that's what's been going on. Yeah. All right, well, I think we're running over a little bit. There's a bit more to talk about. We might make another another session on, on this. Talk about inflation, that's falling. The economy's falling as well. Um, and the euro stock market, which has gone nowhere for what feels like the last 9,000 years. We'll talk about that. Um, <laughs> buy and hold, folks. Buy yeah. and hold. But for now, we, we might leave it there, gentlemen. And yep. um, we'll circle back next week and, and continue. Great. Right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. The Total Money Management Podcast is now releasing weekly. Follow us now on this app to stay up to date. And as always, remember, we don't provide financial advice.